Hey, welcome back to Close to Encumbrance. I know it's been a while, so I, Justin, one of your esteemed co-hosts, wanted to hop in and give a quick state of the pod. Thomas and I, as you know, took an extended break over the summer, but we're back. We have two episodes that were recorded pre-break that we will be releasing. Thomas and I have started recording again and we are planning on putting out episodes every other week so look for those wherever you get your podcasts this week is our original episode two that was lost to technical difficulties and i've left the references to dates and events that are no longer relevant so please keep that in mind when we're talking about things that are coming up that they are months in the past. Next episode will be about rule variants, and again, an episode that we recorded months ago before we took our break that we never got around to publishing. After that, we will resume regularly recorded episodes. And that episode that starts that trend will be episode 10. 10% of the way through the March to 100 for those keeping track at home. I'm excited. I hope you are all excited as well. And I promise in the future, if we are planning on taking a long break, we'll be sure to let you, our adoring fans, know. So without further ado, please enjoy the lost episode, Daggers and Respects. You're a that crazy, crazy man. Ridiculous. So I messaged trying... you. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you, you go. Right. Where, mess... Where'd you message me? I, I messaged you earlier this week. Yesterday, maybe? Wednesday? I don't know. Uh, that I had an idea or uh, something I wanted to talk about. And I thought about this. And then it's one of those things where you kind of you think about it. And then you are like, oh, that's that'd be nice to talk about or like I want to tell someone about this or ask someone and you don't write it down and then you can't remember it when you go to to talk about or ask about it and then it came back to me and that's when I sent you that message and was like hey I have an idea and I sent you that and then I wrote it on a a sticky note it's right here Uh, so I wouldn't forget have you seen the classic and i'm going to be really offended if you say no uh movie nightmare before christmas um is that the one with uh with rudolph and the and the snowman no no it's the it's the (laughs) tim burton right yeah 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 okay classic classic the most the classic halloween x christmas movie that we all know and love okay halloween or christmas movie because you said halloween x christmas if it could only be one which one is it do you think i mean i have a very strong opinion about this and Kristen the, has it, an opinion also and she's wrong uh, and maybe i'll tell you why you're wrong also okay um well 
I would generally lean towards it has the word for the one holiday in the title. Okay. So I'm going to okay. go with it's a Christmas movie <clears throat> mm. because it's about Christmas. <laughs> it's it's not though. It's, I mean it 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 has like a few Christmas themes like the classic Santa can't this spoiler alert by the way. Uh, Santa can't deliver presents and Jack Skellington takes over that duty. But the whole theme and uh, pretty much 90% of the setting is Halloween Town. It's, it's literally Halloween. Uh, therefore, I think it should firmly land in Halloweenville for movies. Halloween Town. Halloween Time, I guess. And I, I told Kristen I wanted to watch it. And she was like, it's a Christmas movie, so we'll watch it during Christmas. And I was very upset. I haven't seen it recently enough mm. to tell you that you're wrong or agree. I think I'm, I was just going purely on it's the Nightmare Before Christmas. It's about Christmas. So eh? I, I think you it's, need to rewatch it. And it's spookier. That. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's more spooky than it is like holiday cheery. So. I guess in that sense, maybe it's a Thanksgiving movie. You know? Maybe it's a Thanksgiving movie because you're supposed to watch it in between Halloween and Christmas because it's neither a Halloween or Christmas movie. Uh, I'll accept that. You know, that's a I think that's a solid uh, compromise. It's like a, a primer for Christmas or it's it's yeah. not really a Christmas movie, but it does have that the end kind of has those christmas feelings and that like tone of uh being christmas like yeah ho- uh, thanksgiving movie that's that's good i like that that was my my one question that i i wanted to pose because i i couldn't get kristen to agree with me that it was a a halloween movie and we have a bunch of halloween movies that we uh like to watch every year hocus pocus halloween town really just those two Um, so i think an interesting another way to look at this is to ask people is jack skellington a Halloween character or a Christmas character and I feel like everyone's gonna say Halloween for because sure he's literally the face of a pumpkin right he's like he's like the default I want to carve something recognizable onto a pumpkin and like you carve Jack Skellington also I'm looking at the like the I mean he's the pumpkin king I'm looking at the movie poster for it and he's overlooking a pumpkin patch right and that is there's no pumpkins on the ground at christmas <laughs> i mean there might be in the northeast they'd just be covered in snow right yeah but again it's about delivering presents it's both it's it's both miss it's a it's both miss a, a hollow miss or a... we need a new we need a new holiday we can borrow from the mcelroys and call it a candle nights movie 
a candle nights i like that yeah candle nights is their it's like their generic holiday celebration that uh they've used all through taz if you remember that like that's a holiday celebration that they recognized in taz was candle nights and it's part of the like boom bam my brother my brother and me universe um in that they do a candle nights um show it's usually a live show in their hometown of um huntington west virginia and it usually is like a charity benefit show um and it's generally supposed to be a lot cleaner than their normal shows are so it's supposed to be family friendly and that's kind of like the whole candle nights thing is like bring your kids to the show or you know they could put on a show that's a little more appropriate for their own children um it's like it's like festivus yeah yeah i think i think it's like literally the mcelroy's family version of festivus except there's no i don't think there's airing of grievances so it's a slightly less uh i i think we can all get behind generic um inclusive holidays personally yes yes Uh, all right but we're not here to talk about halloween movies or christmas movies or any movie really well i guess if there was a D movie we could talk about that which there is one in the works but i think that's a long time coming um was it a drizzit movie i don't i don't know i haven't looked much into it i just keep getting articles about uh a D movie i would assume i wouldn't be surprised because there are so many drizzit novels um see there was a pg-13 2008 dragon dragonlance dragons of autumn twilight um movie so i would argue and i'm sure are we gonna have to watch all these dungeons and dragons movies uh there was a movie in the year 2000 called dungeons and dragons oh my gosh uh second build is marlon waynes all right i'm gonna have to add uh, that to it my is watch list. it is uh let's i don't believe in rotten we're gonna we're gonna rotten tomatoes dungeons and dragons it looks like there's been a bunch of D movies and the reason we don't know about them is because they're bad question mark okay not second not i don't think actually second build but um D &D, the movie definitely branded as it has the real logo pg-13 the year 2000 10 percent (laughs) rt with an audience score of 20 so great movie it sounds like um i feel like i have to watch it now uh in the kingdom of ismer Mm. oh was this a 4e movie was that why it was bad because it was it was a fourth edition movie uh maybe that's that's the only reason it it failed is because they were using fourth edition rules when they made it uh there are probably people that would vehemently disagree with fourth edition being a a bad edition but to each their own different strokes for different folks as i say there yeah i mean i don't think that 
I don't think everything has to be made into a movie. I don't really want. I don't see a great desire for D and D movies because I think if you want a D and D movie, you know what you should do instead: watch a uh, actual play or listen to an actual play podcast or watch like Critical Role. Nope, you should just play D and D or that. Yeah, <laughs> just oh. play the game. <laughs> Make your own story, but no, I, I think you have a a much better piece of advice. You should you should watch actual play content of which there is so much it is kind of anxiety inducing (laughs) it's unfortunate all the youtube channels it seems like everyone who makes videos about dungeons and dragons also films themselves playing it dungeon dudes um xp to level three obviously there's crit roll um there's 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 a lot yeah i mean it's like all the all the people who make videos the the handful of channels that i watch regularly that make videos about D that aren't explicitly them playing the game oh by the way they also play the game <laughs> they also play the game and, and and film it um well yeah that's the that's the dream uh you know what isn't anxiety inducing though no you don't know i'll tell you our theme music Welcome back to another exciting, uh, fun-filled episode of Close to Encumbrance. I'm one of your favorite co-hosts, Justin, and I'm here with my beautiful, mustached cousin, Thomas. Say hello, Thomas. Glad to be here. Glad to have made it into the top two hosts of Close to Encumbrance. (laughs) Top two. I was always hoping for a top two finish. Yeah. We made it this year. Um, I'm also happy to be on the, uh, we're on the March to 100. It's begun. <laughs> By recording episode two, it has become uh, a series. We're on the March to 100. The March it begins right now. To 100. There are some people that would absolutely hate you for doing that, but I, I'm here for it. If we could film, film, record, uh, complete a hundred episodes i don't know i'll i'll do something because that would be that would be awesome we're gonna get in a hundred we might have to just batch out you know 20 at a time (laughs) extra life 2022 is just us recording 20 episodes of close to encumbrance in in theory that sounds great uh in practice i think that would be absolutely miserable just it would be terrible 20 hours of just talking i don't i don't think i can do it i get tired of talking after three hours after some of our our sessions where i'm doing a lot of narrative or exposition it it's difficult i don't i don't understand how uh some of these people have like four hour episodes and they're just talking all the time the entire way through or like a streamer who's almost always talking so i have i have a thought you just you brought something up that uh i messaged our friend sam who i asked to come on the podcast sometime so spoiler alert we're gonna have guests eventually um sam's probably the first one he's our friend from over in the uk uh player gm dungeons and dragons extraordinaire and we were buff uh 
yeah, actually quite quite a phenomenally good Hearthstone player. Uh, he's made his way into top ranks of uh, Legend many times. I don't know if he's really played any any tournament stuff, but um, phenomenal player there. All around great person, fun to be around, fun to talk to, and we were we were just exchanging some messages about playing and prepping. He's currently running Curse of Strahd for a group of mutual acquaintances. Um, we both follow the same streamer and have been for a very long time. Um, Hearthstone streamer by the name of Jackie Chan. It is not actually Jackie Chan. He is uh, a cool dude from the UK who's been playing Hearthstone forever and um, he's a great stream. Go check him out. J, the letter. No, the number four. Keychan. J4 Keychan. J4 Keychan. On, uh, on Twitch. Go check him out. I will probably be in the chat. Um, I'm there like all the time. But anyway, uh, Lemon and I were talking. I say Lemon. His name's Sam. Uh, that's his name on Twitch. I'm Cuba Soup on Twitch, by the way. Uh, Justin, I don't know. Nals? Nalsy? Uh, I think it's Nalsy. N A W L Z Y. You know, you I, can, might, you... I might stream my extra life here uh yeah next, next week which by the time this airs uh it might be the same day we'll we'll yeah. see tune into our stream today to watch some extra life <laughs> gaming i'll probably stream on extra life some um share the share the love of that uh that whole thing with us anyway back to um i was talking to sam we were talking about gming versus playing he was lamenting prepping for strad he has a six pc group so it's a lot of people yeah. they all wrote in-depth backstories and he's like we've played like five or six sessions and i haven't really done anything with anyone's backstory because it seems very overwhelming to prep and i was like you know what sam like i really wish that i could do none of the prep and then do all of the the stuff that happens on game day and he's like yeah that's playing but it's not because i love exposition and i love improv and i feel like you get to do tons of exposition as a gm and i think you get to do more meaningful improv as a gm yeah and i miss that because i don't really like the prep and i don't like the creative world building that happens i don't feel confident in doing it um that just means that i need to do it more but i don't feel confident in doing it so i don't do it and yet right now maybe someday who knows maybe yeah i i completely understand that the the prep can be overwhelming i mean we only have in our game that i run four players and sometimes prep can take a long time Uh, and even with running a a pre-written adventure module where there's maps included there's stat blocks there's uh, exposition for you to say included in some of these scenarios but depending on the module you might have more or less to go off um, for example Tyranny of Dragons there's a lot left for the GM to to make up and roll with so to speak but you can't you can't really have improv without some level of prep I mean, maybe there are some people who can just go in and just 100% improv and, you know, maybe they've done improv their whole life and been on a stage and they can yes and, like, there's no tomorrow. But having even an hour, 
hour and a half of prep helps with your improv and helps you build off. It's like a good springboard. So like our, our last session, I completely forgot about something the players had done and I had to basically improv an entire, I don't know what it took a half an hour or so uh, worth of the session because I forgot, but I had prepped the, I, I know the world, I know what's going on and I know how the area would react to certain situations. So I was able to just come up with something and um, provide a little bit more, I don't know, entertainment value to the scenario instead of just being like, you do this, okay, you wanna do that, you go to the place, you do the thing, that's it. Let's let's go to this other thing that I have prepped and I'm ready for. Um, yeah, yeah. I I I mentioned to you uh, when we were messaging about this earlier that it played well because some player characters uh, had taken some prisoners out on the road and we came into a settlement and we like turned them into the local constables and the guard was just like didn't know what was going on really like who we were or why we were turning these people in and i'm i was like yeah like it's kind of good that you didn't prep that or you didn't remember it because <laughs> the guard didn't know so you were just playing a guard who was like yeah i guess this is happening we'll take him in i thought it, i thought it worked well but as you said the prep is like not what the prep you had done is to know like how would this town react if the people that the bandits are aligned with were caught or brought in. Right. Are they familiar with them? And it's like, you knew all of that. So that's that's kind of like, I think that's the really, as you said, really important campaign level prep is like knowing your world. I also think the other type of prep that takes a lot of time and I don't know how you would improv that well is like stat blocks and like tokens. So if you like get into a combat that's improved, I don't know how that doesn't just like grind something to a halt. Like how do you just start throwing shit at the players where it's like I don't have any balance for this. I don't know. I feel like that's where like if you've been GMing for twenty years, you can just be like, all right, we got some like level four character. We got like four level four PCs. I can just like you know reach into my bag of tricks and I don't know. Maybe that's where like the five E tools encounter builder. You're just like, oh, yes, you stumble into the swamp and uh, roll some perception checks and like quickly, go <laughs> quickly, like just like roll an encounter. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, resources that you can use as a GM to whip up encounters like 5e tools, uh, Cobalt Fight Club, Donjon. They all have encounter generators and you can put in, you know, party uh, number of number in your party, party level. Uh, area that you're in and it'll spit out some monsters and hopefully you have the appropriate books or um, stat blocks unlocked or know where to access them like I have roll 20 I have a lot of books on roll 20 so when I need a, a new monster it's really easy for me to just type in the monster's name and I can drag and drop it into the game um, stat block attached to the token and everything so yeah. it's like it's yeah it, i guess in that sense the the prep that you've done is you've invested in a uh, virtual tabletop system with resources that allows you to react to situations quickly 
um, I guess if you're playing in person and you like you literally just have your monster manual and you have your your Xanathars next to you or your um, what's the uh, Volos right you got like your Volos and your monster manual and they throw something at you and you just like flip into the index and yeah Justin's holding up his Volos yes I did notice that listening back to our first episode we did do some visual <laughs> stuff where it, I feel like there were some pauses or we were <clears throat> referencing things and it's like okay I need to make sure that everything is described yes this is because an, nobody an audio medium <laughs> yes audio medium but it's um, it's great being able to see you and it is I think yeah. it, it makes the conversation uh better more natural yeah, for sure um speaking of none of the stuff that we've been speaking of we have some topics for this week that i teased to reiterate what they are dagger theory yes or I'm not going to uh, explain that at all right now dagger knife, theory knife theory knife theory yeah some people know knife it as theory. knife theory the level five respec mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a cool tool to get some art to use for your games and also the theory behind using a different style of battle map that isn't a battle map at all for encounters i have a word for it are you ready yes i'm uh mr burnsing my uh my hands like steepling my fingers um it's a scene scene that's it just scene that's very nice it's very (laughs) nice you either have a battle map or you have a scene yeah yeah, I thought of this um, like an hour before we started recording. I was thinking of these topics. Um, I think so. We we have a doc that we use, and we kind of uh, it helps guide us, so we remember what we're talking about. And I think I'm going to switch it up here because you mentioned that Sam was talking about how he's had five five or so sessions with his players. And they all have these really good backstories and he hasn't done anything with them which is it's fine it happens we've had i don't know how many sessions a lot and we've done very little with backstories and part of the reason for us not doing it and i think um it's worked out fine is because of this level five respec that i have instituted so the the level five respec, it it was born of a couple of factors, really. Our first game that we played, and I've played in a few other games where this has happened, where you create a character and it just it's bad. And it feels bad, and you don't have as much fun as you thought you would have. Um, whether it's the way you built it or the way that it's written and the way that the publisher for whatever game you're playing has balanced it um i I feel like i feel like it can also end up being like you pick something and for example if you're playing tomb of annihilation it's not really a spoiler to say that you're going to be in schult you're going to be in a jungle if you pick something that like is about being in different types of environments or if you for whatever reason you had in your mind you'd be this like snow creature or something like if you just like make a weird choice where you don't know anything about the campaign and you come into it and you're like 
yo, I wish my character knew like anything about jungles or like, and you just, you just don't know. Um, this gives you the opportunity to like build a character, get into the game and then realize something that you want to change and give yourself the ability to change it. The, the side note that we won't tangent on this right now, but I'll just say that shows the importance of, uh, like a prep document for building a campaign or building a, your character for the campaign as right? we talked about a little bit last last week last episode the the session zero yep yeah that yeah having that helps kind of avoid those but even still if you have that and um even with that extra information in a session zero it's still really easy to make a bad decision and you don't know it until you you start playing maybe your your party composition isn't great uh, maybe you're missing a a rogue that can pick locks and there's someone who isn't enjoying their character and they think that they would like to try a rogue this level five respec would be great a great way for them to to figure out you know maybe that's something for me yeah. um, before we get too too further into what it is or into the benefits pros cons etc uh, I'll just explain what it is really quick. And all it is is from levels one to four, at any time, you can completely respec your character, rebuild them. You can do whatever you want. If you were playing a halfling bard and you no longer want to play that halfling bard, you can change that into a halfling sorcerer. If you were playing a dragonborn sorcerer, but you want to play a dwarf cleric, you can do that too. That second example seems familiar. The first one should too. They they both should. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the this isn't something I came up with. Um, when we played Tomb of Annihilation, the original idea for the group was to play the Adventurers League season for Tomb of Annihilation. I think it's season I think it's season seven or season nine. We and, started with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. The I think the first adventure first maybe three or four sessions were strictly uh Adventures League modules. And we were using all of those rule sets. And in that season they had specific rules for rebuilding your character and it was before level five you could rebuild it but there were a few caveats you had to keep your name um, and it was it was more a rebuild your class and if you had any renown with a faction you would lose that and there were a couple other rules that aren't super important but it wasn't as free-flowing as mine, my rule where it's you do what you want because I want my players to have fun and want them to create a character that they're going to enjoy playing for. I think with this module, two years, probably a year and a half. Um, yeah, you've 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 come out and told us you want us to get to level twenty. Yes. So we, we're we're trying to grind out Tyranny of Dragons, Horde of the Dragon Queen into a level one to 20 scenario. We just hit five. So we're we're at the tail end of this respec window. 
which I think we'll touch on a little bit more. But the context of like how we're experiencing this is that, um, and I think this is kind of like the important part of like the use case is like if you hear this and you're like that's stupid like my campaigns go to like level seven like we play like 10 or 15 sessions and that's like the whole thing it's like well yeah this probably isn't for you then but if you're if you're trying to set the stage for a group of players to really dig your heels in to a level one to 20 level even even to 10 just like double anywhere from 10 to 20 if you're trying to get to those levels with this character you're going to spend a lot of time between five and the rest of it and the time from one to four is relatively short it's usually like one session to get to two maybe two more sessions to get to three and it's kind of like one two three in terms of like one session two more sessions three more sessions yeah. and you should be at about four like it's really quick and then you could go 20 sessions to get from five to ten so like you're really going to be in that character for a while in those mid middle ranges of power so we talked about this a bunch um both you and i and like our group as a whole of like should we do this and i i remember throwing it out there of like why don't we just like let us respec so that I can try something? I was like, I haven't played a bard really, so I, I I went like full bard, went all in entertainer background. It's a lot of fun. I, I really it was cool. It was cool, but like as we got into like the story and like the character, I just like I wasn't feeling it. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, so get get back into like where it came from for Adventurers League. Hit us with some of the the pros and the cons, and so I don't know, we can ramble. the The new Adventurers League has, which I also found this out, and then I went on a a rabbit hole of reading this season's Adventurers League, and it looks like a lot of fun. So go play it if you get a chance. Um, not you, Thomas, because I'm going to run it for you at some point. Uh, <laughs> But the new one, they've eliminated the the rebuild or the respec. I don't remember exactly what they they classified it as in that old season. Now it's you can start a character at level one, or you can start a character at level five. Which it's kind of the same thing, right? You're you're I guess is it though? Is it really no, the same thing? No, because the whole, the whole you, point of this is to get time with your character right. and yeah. to figure out if you like them. And this this plays into, um, I think one of the things I love about the podcast format is when you have an idea, I feel like you should just talk about it. Hmm. And the idea that I'm having here is that, um, so the, there's a Discord server that I mostly talk to Sam through that knowing him and other people on that server there's a channel for the DD game that he's running that's basically through this community on this discord and a lot of discourse on the discord uh has happened in the the players in that that strad campaign that sam's running talking to each other about building their characters sharing their backstory like google docs flying left and right all over the place backstories four pages five pages six pages and i am 
so so adamant that you should not write a character backstory really to start a campaign you should have a couple of Mm -hmm. basic ideas about your character and then you should play your character and you should make a relationship with someone and this is like i think this is like a a blasphemous idea because what i am encouraging you to do is retcon because i think (laughs) it makes it so that you can create a story that binds you to the other players in your party and it can like do a good job of shaping a character that has meaningful interactions where you can like work with the gm on it um rather than just being like this is all the stuff my character cares about and this is the backstory and this is like the thing that they want to do with their life in the world and i'm like what about all the other people that you don't know that maybe you do know but like i guess i i guess the the way to write a a big backstory i'm rambling here but a way to write a big backstory if you're playing with a group is to write it with the group yeah if you write with other people it's probably okay to come into it with a big thing but if you're the only one who knows it's such a huge burden on the other players and the gm to just be like i'm not even i'm not even getting to the gm the the gm (laughs) impact yet just other players on like uh, i i feel like you care about stuff that happens to the characters while you're playing the game together right if you in session one or session two experience the player telling a story about like the loss of their family or even like it happening right you like you go out adventuring you come back to town and it's been ransacked and like they find their family dead and it's like oh that'd be really traumatic but like it it could be a moment that's shared that could like bond the group together versus you're like by the way, my family is murdered. Read my backstory. And it's, uh, there's, I don't know. It's like, a, it, I, I think, I think it's a sign of the times that I look to D and D for like emotional bonding and, um, and character backstory is a big, I think a good way to do that. And the level five respect, I think supports you being able to feel out what kind of a character works in your group and allows you to like, switch up your origin or switch up your name or your backstory and i i i think there's there's tons of pros to it the con is that it's like it's not hardcore role playing so it's not going by the rules of the game yeah there's a little bit of immersion breakage uh or there can be i mean there are ways to handle this respec where you you don't necessarily know that you know this is what's happened or like the the party might not necessarily know but i do like that you bring up like the the long backstory and a lot of times i know someone you know this person um there's a player not in my game uh who writes long backstories and a lot of times it's like they've done all of these heroic deeds and you're like what level are you you're you're level one but you saved a city from a horde of zombies and you've done all of these things, but, but you're only a level one adventurer. So it's like sometimes these backstories don't necessarily translate into the character that you're trying to play. And I agree, the level five respec is a great 
tool um, to kind of limit that from from happening. Because imagine you're taking an hour, two hours to write a multi-page backstory. You start at first level, session one, you get crit by a goblin and you are just dead. And that character is gone forever. You just wasted two, three, maybe four hours of your time creating this arguably really good backstory and like fantastic character and would probably have some really cool moments in the future, but now nobody's going to experience that because they're dead. So why not from that, you know, level one to that level five threshold, just come in with what's my motivation for being here? When we started our campaign, it was, why are you going to Greenest? That's all you need to know. What's bringing you to this town? And now that we are leveling up to five, going into our next session, I asked the players, bring me some some knives and daggers, and we'll we'll get into that, which is basically, give me some backstory. Give me some stuff to work with. Now we can start exploring your character and the, the narrative that you want to create and the arc that you want to you want to create create for your character it's it's almost like our party I, I think a way to look at the respec is that like if you start a campaign at level one and you play and you're planning on playing into the later levels um, you can think of levels one through four as a as a prologue and it's yeah. And that what you're doing in the prologue is you're getting the characters acquainted with one another and learning a little bit about how this world works. And then you can think of it as your character starts at level five, which means you could write a huge backstory. But what you do is you write it at level one, you hold on to it, you play through maybe some of that tweaks because of party interaction party composition maybe you realize that like you built yourself around this one weapon and it just wasn't fun to use in combat maybe you decided that you want to you know use the best spell in the game fireball and (laughs) uh you you need to choose your class in order to do that whatever reason if you if it like starts at five you give yourself this opportunity to like iterate on the story in the context of playing the game in the context of like having your character actually do the heroic things that their backstory would say that they did the sidebar is i think the only reasonable way to have a uh, a like heroic noble character that's done a million things that's a level one adventurer is if they're old or uh injured or like if there's like an event that makes yeah. sense why you take a 12th level adventurer and knock them back to one is like classic one talk about uh our favorite podcast the one you're wearing a hat for the glass cannon podcast lork iron tusk right of the giant slayer campaign he was an old orc he had bad knees he was like you know total badass when he was when he was a young strapping lad but the campaign starts with him warp being old what town guard or something yeah just a basically a desk jockey <laughs> yeah yeah he, he wasn't even out yeah he wasn't even out in the field he was he was riding the pine back in 
back in a uh, true now. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, and I, I think like that, that's great. I think that's a great way to say like, I've done heroic stuff in the past and now this is why I'm level one. But you, you bring up a good point. Why is your character level one? Yeah. And if you can answer that in a good way, a way that makes thematic or, um, just sense in the the world that you're in then heck yeah do that yeah. but just just keep in mind you know level one 5e characters unless you know ahead of time your gm's gonna let you play the hero and they're gonna fudge rolls and make sure you don't die there's a pretty good chance at level one you're you could just be gone forever and have to bring in their bring in uh lork's cousin bork to avenge their death always the twin always the twin sibling (laughs) always the cousin you know you just gotta you gotta roll with it but okay we rambled but the level five respec it's great it's great i think we've talked about a lot of i'm looking at our notes here we talked about why it's good for players it Mm -hmm. lets you get out of something you don't like i was playing a bard it was fun but i felt really it felt really bad in combat and i felt really useless even outside of combat if we weren't talking to humanoids yeah and it, it was like i the bardic inspiration die didn't feel that impactful i looked at the later level spell casting as we were playing and i'm like i'm not i'm not feeling it i want like i i've realized this about myself in in gaming in general is like i want to be the like marvel superhero i want to be really doing that i want to do i want to do the superhero landing and yeah. then i want to like punch something through a wall like i want to feel powerful it's like it's why i love the game hades it's a great game for feeling powerful your power ramps way up in that game really quickly um it explains like the difficulty level that i play a lot of games on and why i can get frustrated if a game is really really hard and you don't feel powerful Mm -hmm. or it can also feel frustrating when you're so powerful that it doesn't even feel like a challenge and it's like you want that like i can fail but also i'm mostly succeeding right (laughs) and like a bard felt like i wasn't failing but it also didn't feel like i was doing anything impactful like i actually felt like i was level two like i was a commoner um it's also because i rolled absolute garbage stats but that's that's uh that's oh future episode why you shouldn't let your players roll for stats (laughs) Uh, that episode is five minutes long it is just don't it's stupid they're either bad or way too good or they got stats that they would have just gotten from point by, which they're happy with. Whatever. Um, I think we could fill an hour talking about that, but yeah. anyway. So, not, not what we're talking about. Go level on. 5 respec, fun for GMs. Mm, we um, haven't really talked about this much. Yeah. Uh, I'll take over here. Uh, like, we're going to talk about knives in a minute or two, 10, 15, I don't know. Uh, it provides a lot of inspiration to your GM and really, I think, to the player, although I kind of took the lead on at least your, uh, you specifically, Thomas, uh, your your respect. But it provides this inspiration for storyline and it can create some really cool RP role-playing moments in-game. So we we've had two two people take advantage of the respects and they were handled completely different. The first one, the character 
or the player wanted to play a different character altogether. They wanted to play a different race. They want to play a different class. And they didn't really want to be like, I've been a dwarf this whole time. You just didn't realize it because that kind of breaks immersion a little bit, which I, I think is great. Like, heck yeah, I'm happy when a player does that. But I also am okay with breaking immersion to make sure players having fun. But their character uh, had a pretty cool in-game moment where they went off to cause a distraction and they just never came back. And then the party found this player, this player's new character later on in the next session. Um, and that's, that's one way to play it. You write off, you basically write off the character and then write in the new one. And that character that's been quote unquote written off, the players don't know where he is, but the GM does. And maybe he'll make an appearance later on. And spoiler alert, Thomas, he is probably most definitely going to make an appearance at some point. What that's going to look like is yet to be determined. I'm going to leave it up to uh, the fate of the dice to determine, you know, maybe he stays with his good aligned character and is secretly helping to aid the party. Uh, from the other side of this battle or maybe he succumbs to evil and now he's on the other side and the party including the player who used to play that character now has to fight him in battle and kill him which i think could be a lot of fun i think both could be really fun that could be interesting i feel like i feel like i i would imagine you get you're getting inspiration from your favorite role-playing game podcast and their use of uh previous characters coming back in the story as the story has progressed there's like huge spoiler implications for this and um i just won't get into the details it's it's a pot i i'll say it's glass cannon podcast stuff so if you listen to that you're if you're current we're not spoiling anything that like hasn't been released or something but um there's players that there's player characters that like leave the game and come back into the game over the course of the campaign and it's to me it's like it's so cool i almost feel like if you're playing a like level 1 to 20 game you could have a character like leave at 5 play another character from like 10 to 15 and then have like the level 5 character like come back in and get like almost have the players have the ability to like play multiple characters later on um in the game it's basically what we did in toa like everyone had two characters because we we got some npcs to come along with us so everyone really had two people to control um so that was like a whole a whole thing in its own right but um yeah i mean as you said it's like it's this it's this opportunity to like enrich the story later on with the the immediate reasoning of the player just wants to play something else in order to make the game more fun for them and you're like ooh, i get like juicy i get some juicy stuff to enrich the campaign with later on i can yeah. pull a fast one on the players later right I get to it, mess it's like, with my players yeah yeah fun <laughs> and and in a fun way right yeah. in, a, in a fun cool way i think the other the other way the the great rp moment right so what i came to you with was i like my character my character's name is billiam 
he's a little halfling. He's got a funny voice, right? This is Billiam. <laughs> he's uh, you know, just a just a halfling. I'm an entertainer. Try and make everyone have a good time. I didn't want to get out of this. Billiam wasn't ready to die. Billiam didn't want to leave. He felt like he was bonding with everyone in the party. So, you know, we had to figure something out. So I I came to Justin and I had previously been like, I don't really want to play a bard. We ha- I have this other character, Loris, who's like within our group, I'd say almost like a fan favorite. I played him for a one for shot. Sure. Everyone seemed to love him. For sure. Because um, I did a, a, another stupid voice for him. Um, I mean, you have to do it. You have to. Fuck. All right, hold on. I gotta, I gotta like, I gotta get into the. Loris Farron. He's. He was a warlock who kind of talked in a very. Um, challenging way. He was almost like he was always out of breath. And the intonation of his voice went up and down quite randomly. But he had uh, such a good time blasting people with his eldritch power. Uh, so, so Loris, I wanted to bring Loris back. I'm going to play Loris again at some point. He's so much fun to play. But I was like, all right, I have an idea. I have a reason that Billiam could leave the party. And we could just, like, have Loris... We could just write him in, like throw him in a tavern, throw him in a caravan, just do something and just like have him stumble upon the, the group and get him in. And I was like, ah, you know what? I actually like Billiam. And, and the big reason I chose not to get rid of Billiam from the party was like, I feel like I wanted to continue bonding with the other three players, like yeah. the player characters. It felt yeah. like we were creating a, a, um, some good stuff there and and i was like you know let's you know justin and i went back and forth on like how can we make billiam a sorcerer and i was like if you're gonna play a sorcerer it's got to be wild magic i mean not not really you can play the other subclasses but i love i love rng i want more randomness it it feels great to to have weird crazy things happen so it's like i gotta be wild magic wild magic sorcerer that's a great opportunity for some act of god gods act of just pure raw arcane power to happen so what a good class to just have power granted to you out of nowhere yeah so it's like yeah. let's figure this out and i actually what what i think was a, is a fun part of this justin is like i was like we came up with two things right it was either going to be a dream sequence or mm-hmm. i really want i love the Feywild. I love everything about it. I love um, the idea of going to this this magical place where the sun never sets. It's always sunset, and time functions weird. There's weird creatures there. Um, there's just it's very whimsical. And the new adventure module that just came out, Wild by the Witchlight, is based in there, and it's one of the reasons I really want to play it. Um, but when he's as soon as you said wild magic, I was like, "We're going to the Fey, we're going to the Fey Wild." That's how I'm going to make this work. Um, that was my initial thought. I was like, "This is perfect," and I started just like the wheels were turning on how 
on a one basically a one shot that we can do where the party essentially just wakes up in the fey and they spend however long uh in there but when they're done because hey it's the fey wild and time's weird they wake up quote unquote wake up basically where they left off because time travel is fun like that yeah and the end result would be that billiam is now a sorcerer instead of a bard uh, but you had said that you didn't want to really derail the campaign and <clears throat> I, I say waste time and waste sessions but it's it's not a waste because you're, you're playing the game um, yeah but you're it's not a- actively moving the story forward you're, you're yeah, sidetracking it, it felt selfish in a way where there was some like self guilt of like i don't like my class so now i'm gonna make the whole party play a whole session in the fey wild but we ended up coming up with like it was gonna be like a dream sequence or maybe like a large burst of magic and i was like just you decide don't tell me which one it is so i still didn't know how it was going to happen but i knew that next session i was going to be a sorcerer at some point in that session um and it gave me some really fun rp to not know that i'm a sorcerer even though like i literally had two character sheets open on my computer (laughs) one for sorcerer and one for bard billiam so i was like trying to cast spells and couldn't and like i had like learned how to use a shield so i was like holding a shield and like i didn't have proficiency with shields anymore as a sorcerer so i like tried to cast a spell when i was holding a shield and it didn't work so i had to like get rid of the it was like this whole is a whole thing where i got to have some fun with that and um yeah i mean i think it's it's you bring it up in your session zero you give players the option you know you might be playing with some some hardcore players or or some traditionalists who are just like no let's just play straight up play the characters we pick and then like, yeah sure but if play if people are open to it i think that the important thing that i would would encourage players or gms who want to do this is for it to be clear that it's to to work with the gm to make it fit with the story and like smoothly flow in and out yeah. and also to not abuse it like don't abuse it right don't don't like make a character who's good for your level one scenario and then you know two sessions later you like know you're going to be doing something else and be like uh yeah i really want to play a thief because we're breaking into this castle and uh you know and then you like play a thief and then you have another encounter and you're like oh man we really could use a sorcerer for that and right that's 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 not what it's intended for right the intent is to do your best at making a character to start the campaign like try hard on the first character but if you don't like it you have the op- you have the option to change right it's not you shouldn't be playing it to intentionally respec you should be playing yeah a character that you want to play to start and then you have the option to change um and yeah i mean i th- i think there's not enough like unintentional multiclassing or character feature switching in the game um because it seems like it's really cool and isn't broken if you're swapping equal power level things 
it's sort of like um, what we talked about in episode one on like racial features and like moving ability scores. And it's like, right. it doesn't, you're not a more powerful bard because you're, a, you're an orc versus a, a, a halfling. Cause like you got different ability score increases. It's like, you're just, you're just different. And there's just, so it's like, it's, it, it wouldn't be, you're not more powerful because you're some class that became some other class right. later on. Yeah. It's just you know, a, an equivalent ex- exchange yeah. to quote. And even Fullmetal the way Arms. that I did it, I I actually like accepted some self nerf because I I kept my like bard background and some of my bard expertises, um, or not expertises, but like skill choices that I had made. So now I'm just kind of like this sort of weirdly built sorcerer, but it's fun um, though. It's I think it's good. Yeah, it's, it's good. I still have I I still have the feat that you gave me because. So this is how good of a, this is, um, if you're a hockey fan, there's players coaches. They talk about players coaches where it's like the players, and maybe it's not, it's probably not just hockey. It's probably every sport. There's like a players coach. The players all love playing for this, this person. They're all like, you know, real, um, real great in the locker room, real inspiring to the players. The players will do anything for their coach. I feel like Justin's the players GM, (laughs) at least for me, he is my, he's thomas the players gm because <laughs> i rolled stats that were absolute garbage mm, i was you if did. you talk about point by my point by value was like 20 points which normally was, is 27 which is yeah, quite, a, quite was, a difference it was it was like my best stat was like a was like a 13 or a 14 it was and then i had like four that were under 10 it was so bad and I was like, that's fine. I'll just play a character who's terrible and it'll be fine. It wouldn't. Don't uh, worry about it. It wouldn't. It wouldn't uh, be. It wouldn't <laughs> be. So you're like, okay, here, you could bump some of these, you could bump two of your ability scores and I was still below point by value and you're like, and you can have a feat. And I took a feat that is really I, good. turns out I love and it's also kind of good, kind of really, really good. good. It's called Inspiring Leader. This is the uh, mid episode. We need like an audio break for feet of the day. Feet of, of the, the day. day. Feet Not of the day. F E A T. Yeah. For those listening. Feature class. Uh, optional class feature of the day. Inspiring leader. You don't have to be a bard to take it. I'm pretty sure. I think there's no prerequisites. It's just that you're an inspiring leader. If you spend 10 minutes. Uh, giving an inspiring conversation or speech to your party before something. It's really just if you spend 10 minutes. Um, they have your level plus your charisma modifier in temporary HP. Yeah, The prerequisite Scales. is charisma of 13 or higher, which is pretty easy to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. as a as a sorcerer or a bard, real easy. It's it's kind of an interesting feat to have as a even as a sorcerer because like I'm not usually buffing the class at all. But at the early level, like right now, eight temporary HP to everyone. It's like for me, it's more than a third of my hit points. It's a huge buff. <laughs> at level even one, it's tankier, like doubling your hit points basically. Yeah. In, in in most of our encounters, it is tanked a full hit from an enemy for everyone. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Like any normal enemy. It's such a, it's such a good feat. And I think one of the things that we've talked about is like feats are cool and we want players to take feats more. So finding ways to get players to take feats is cool. So we can yeah. talk about maybe maybe next uh, maybe next episode we talk about Drew's uh, feet um, pathway feats pathway yeah. feats oh he I, even names this stuff well yeah so our our friend Drew who's GMing our uh, homebrew campaign um, has a whole thing called pathway feats that's like yeah, that's I amazing. think that and uh, talking about rolling for ability scores would be a <laughs> Uh, some good topics for next week. I will say that it's not just you. Sorry to, I don't know if this burst your bubble, but uh, there was one other person who rolled absolute garbage, and it it's Drew, who's GMing this other game, uh, and I gave him a pretty similar um, uh, options. And I can talk about that on next episode, about rolling ability scores and how I uh, formulated the options that i gave you hmm. all right so level five respec i think we're just gonna keep saying it's really good you should try it you should think about it um but try what it. we You'll like it what we need to talk about now and uh yeah we'll get into dagger theory or knife theory hmm. so justin you or i who do you do you want to let us know <laughs> Give us the deets. Uh, I want to read this quote. Um, Okay. So knife theory slash dagger theory. Drew calls them daggers. um, But I think if you look up knife theory, uh, you'll get a better result online. It's it's a pretty old concept. And it's something that Drew's used in his game. And I think this quote from this post that I found really sums it up well. And it is, they're called knives because the players lovingly forge them and present them to the GM or DM so that the GM or DM can use them to stab the player over and over again. And I think that like, that's a, a brutal representation of what a knife or a dagger is. Um, a nicer way to put it is it's a tool for your game leader to use to help grind your ground your player character into the story and really tie you to the story and create an emotional bond and reasons for um, either what you're doing or motivate you to take a specific action or kind of guide you along a path that they want you to take. Yep. There's I think there's sort of the the potential issue of something happens and the player thinks to themselves, does my does my character care about this? Yes. How does how does my character feel about this? The daggers are things that when they happen, you have explicitly told the GM you care about them a lot so the the gm can very simply um yeah i mean so uh, looking at this list here what are some good daggers an obligation or a loyalty 
very simple ones would be you're aligned with a particular um, church, you know, maybe? church or God in the pantheon of your game. Um, you could own or be seeking an heirloom of your family or your lineage or your whatever class. Um, your church. They can be right. like intersecting daggers, uh, a secret or a mystery. So it could be a secret that you hold. It could be one that your character is trying to unlock. Um, it could be a mystery that they've been trying to solve. I think the classic simple ones are just friends and family members. So having a close emotional bond with another player, a NPC, um, your character's family, and just allowing the GM to like pull at that, right? You do a classic like, you know, a uh, person on the train tracks type scenario where if it's just like a commoner on the train tracks, your players might just be like, well, that sucks. We shouldn't try very hard to save them. And the GM's like, uh, no, uh, Jimmer, it's, uh, <laughs> it's your, you know, it's your great aunt it's your great aunt Betsy who you love so much. And, it, and Jimmer would be like, we have to save her. This is the most important to me, person to me in the world. And then hopefully your party is bonded in a way that they're like, fuck yeah, Jimmer, we got this. We got we'll you. help you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Other stuff, uh, a crime, either one that you committed, right? You're on, you're on the lamb. You're running from the law. I think that's a great that's a great one, right? Like little little dirty secrets of your of your character's past that can come to bite you. Um, I think are good. Maybe a gambling addiction. Um, addiction. I will say that's that's a that's something that you don't want to necessarily make light of an addiction that one of your players may be suffering from in real life, or uh, is particularly triggering because of past experiences or something like that. So I don't mean to make light of gambling addiction, but if it is something that you and the rest of the players in your group can acceptably talk about, joke about, experience, then it can be a great dagger. And I think most of these things could be further highlights the importance of like talking to the people that you're playing with talking to your gm making sure that it's uh things that people will be comfortable with because obviously like family trauma could be extremely triggering to people yeah. uh it could be something that's extremely upsetting so you don't want to have a whole character arc based around like your mother being murdered if you know one of your players mothers was actually murdered and it would do something terrible to them mentally but again simple what it comes down to is simple character hooks that show up in storytelling back to when stories were first being told right you're saying it's been around for a while and it's it's really the concept of like give your gm some juicy juicy tasty nugs (laughs) right yeah the dankest of details yeah yeah that uh that sums it up really well um yeah i've with with drew's games um that's always been his his go-to pre-game is give me x number of of daggers for your characters and you want to be careful because you don't want too many right if you have seven eight 
nine of these, it gives, there's too much. You, you paralyze the, the GM um, from being able to really nail down or focus on one because if you were to give me seven things that are important to your character, it's like, well, I need to work in all of these somehow. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. So really, uh, three, four, maybe five, I think, could work. Um, and of course, some of these, like a phobia, that's that's not necessarily something that the, the GM might use, but it's something that you as a player can use in role-playing. Like my character's terrified of swimming or terrified of water. And the GM obviously could use that, but if you have all of these other stacking up, it might make them make it difficult for them to use it. But you as a player, anytime there's water, you know, maybe your character, you describe your character looking nervous and sweating and uh, refusing to jump in the water or taking precautions, tying a rope to themselves and to a tree before they go in or these other, uh, other possibilities it, that it opens up uh, for role-playing, basically. So Justin, if I'm if I'm writing daggers, mm. and it, like literally each dagger, how long should it be? How much detail should there be for each dagger? For me, I'm I'm a fan of less is more, um, and other people like more. And I know some people, some players that we know, they like to write a lot, um, so they'll have you know a family an entire family tree and maybe only one or two of these serve as daggers because they're the only ones alive but they'll write pages and pages and pages and if you enjoy doing that knock yourself out but really talk to your your gm and ask what they want and my suggestion is for gms is to i don't want to say limit your your characters because you don't want to take away that agency that player agency but really, a paragraph is probably enough for the most part. And if you write a paragraph and you look at it and you're like, you know, I think there needs to be a little more. Maybe add a couple more sentences. But really, it doesn't need to be much. It could really just be um, a name. Like, I forget the name right now, but uh, my character, one of their daggers is they owed a debt to a, a crime lord. And really, that's all you need. Owe a debt to X for gambling. That's it. One yep. one sentence. And that's enough where, for example, our game, the first half of our first session was dealing with that, basically, and trying to find a way to overcome it. And it's a perfect example of less is more because it gives the, the GM the opportunity to create this world for you and then you can go and explore it as a player yeah. um, i'm just i'm so 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 all about collaborative storytelling in the context of 5e so i think when writing daggers the starting place is like super less the starting place is like mm, short sentence maybe not even a sentence maybe just a bullet and you bring that to the GM and you go like, this is 
like here's a person here's it's almost like the dagger should start as concepts where it's like oh a debt possess a thing um you know missing someone looking for someone can be as it can be as literally as vague as that Mm -hmm. and it'll depend on your gm your gm could be like yo i got a life i got time you know the world that we're in come up with some people come up with some context for that and you can give me that and then i can work it in or you can take drew who while he does have a life and uh a very busy job and everything i think his thing is like homebrew and context and world building like he seems to be i don't i don't know if he loves it it doesn't matter if he loves it because he's good at it uh, in terms of regardless of if he loves it or not he's very good at it so uh, for him you can just be like i want to owe a debt to someone and he'll be like i got this you're gonna owe a debt and you're gonna have to pay it <laughs> right he'll like he'll find a way to stab you with it and and i think i think one of the cool things that you can do with the dagger is give the gm something that can be a surprise to you that you know is your dagger still yeah yeah right like, if it's a thing or a person that you don't know who it is like that's part of part of my character in in that campaign is a is a warlock and i'm like i don't know who my patron is i don't know anything about it and i've gotten details i haven't shared it with the party but like i've gotten details that drew has fed me through spoiler the spoiler alert Jeez, i didn't yeah. i didn't know you didn't know your patron that's news i don't to know me. my patron that's really fun i like that yeah so yeah. for example this my character uh likes to gamble and has um he doesn't think he has a problem um but i the, the I, other the other players think he has a problem <laughs> i i i told drew like one of my daggers is gambling problem and that's literally all i told him and he was like what about this what about you owe this person a debt for this reason you took money that was supposed to be for something else and you spent it in a gambling den and i was like that's great let's do that he didn't tell me how much money he didn't tell me uh really any of the details and i was like that sounds like fun and then we get into the game and it's an absurd amount of money and it was a fun surprise for me and i think a fun surprise (laughs) for the rest of the party Um, but it created it. it created a really cool spawned a lot of role-playing moments and it still spawns role-playing moments and it's influenced the way that i've kind of built this character i'm making a very unoptimized character for what we're we're playing the the class choices i'm making and um is basically built on this this idea that he likes to gamble and he likes surprise and randomness and so he's become an artificer alchemist and one of their class features is you get a random elixir at the beginning of every day so that's kind of like satiating his thirst to gamble it's like he gets a prize and that gets him through the day and there are still times where he's like money let's take that and let's go spend it let's go bet on a on a horse race and double it up and that's a a whole nother a whole nother tangent but and then my character is like uh do you remember how much money you still owe the church and he's like "Ooh, right yeah my bad (laughs) these these daggers they not only help your your gm but it also helps you really 
get into character and interact with other players and spawn these different role-playing moments i think yeah and i i think i don't i had a really hard time coming up with ones that resonated with me to start the game and i think that's still a problem that i would have like any game that i would play um which is why i think the idea of like the level five respec or even i think the alternate sub sub option like option a is you just like allow people to respec option b or the combination of dagger theory and level five respec is like implement daggers at not first level yeah right like have daggers kick in at second or third or fourth level maybe even just second level maybe just let you get through level one and like have the players meet each other and let you like formulate something Um, because i know for me like i just want to figure out does the party i I think something that i don't enjoy role playing is if like one person in the party is like very lawful and good and one person is like a thief right and then i'm like i feel like that person would just want to stop the other person all the time and then it would just run in the face of like it's so much more fun if if you're helping your person steal shit or if you're all like trying to bust crooks or something um i think i mentioned it in the first episode i'll see if i can mention it every episode i don't really necessarily like role-playing inter-party <laughs> conflict that is unsolvable and i think alignment conflict is unsolvable yeah i would agree right? with that <laughs> and you're like my 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 character is neutral evil and my character is lawful good and it's like how do you resolve that they're like they're diametrically opposed ideologically like they will want it's not that they will make they'll always make opposite choices but they want to make choices that the other one hates right and that's what daggers can also help with is uh having your players agree on a dagger that binds them together so for this campaign that we're playing in um it's that we are all members of the church of kelimvor and we are trying to to do um trying to grow within the church and do the duties of the church and rid the world of undead and that has basically eliminated um any conflict i mean there's still like the conflict of my character wanting to gamble and your character's like helping him fix that but that's that's solvable conflict that's not these diametrically opposed points that our characters are making yeah um because i think think it's we have we have common ground right that's like when we've had conflict between the characters in in the game in character we've been able to be like hey look we're here for the church, right? We've right. got a job to do. Yeah. It's for the church, right? You can you can come back to it. And I think um, I'm, I, I would almost go back on like, you can't have like opposed people. It's like you can if they have common ground. If they have common ground that you can like bounce off of and come back to, then it gives players a way to like get out of a situation in which they're not yes-anding each other, <laughs> right? if you have one character who's like nope another one who's like but 
how about this? And it's like, nope. Then you're like, how do you get out of that? And a dagger that bonds them together, you can like, you know, the character can drop that, get right back to it. Yeah, and I think, honestly, that binding dagger, it's not talked about in like dagger theory or knife theory because really this theory and this practice is about creating your own character and it's it's like through the lens of like you working on your character but i think this thing that we've stumbled upon is a fantastic tool and helps you know the game run smoother and helps make sure we're all progressing towards the same goal and it's having that one binding dagger i think that's a good good name binding dagger binding dagger party bond yeah 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 it's it all it comes back to it's a game that plays well if the players communicate and right talk to each other make sure you're there for the same reasons um again our our the way that our group wants to play might be different than the way your group wants to play. You might want to play people that that uh, bicker and disagree about things or are morally opposed, and there's more um, questioning of morality. And it's like, yeah, sure, great. You know, we're share. I, 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 you know, like to share the context of the games that we play in because. I want to talk about them. And this is my format to talk about them, so I'm going to. But that is not to suggest that you can't play the game differently than we do. I would even encourage you to do so if you do play the game differently than us. Agreed. You can let us know about it at close to encumbrance at gmail.com. Ooh, yes. Nice. I like that. Nice little plug. Plug yes. the plug the, the email for some for some reader mail. Yeah. Tell us how if terribly we're, we're doing, how many things we've messed up. Um, if you have ideas if there's stuff you want to hear us talk about let us know let us know of the better version of this podcast that you listen to that we can then learn something from by also listening to it (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's a uh a good spot to talk about your your resource um because i think having listener mail and getting these other suggestions and listening to other podcasts is a good resource for us to help improve what we're doing and you have a resource that can help gms improve how they're presenting battle maps and or scenes that we've talked about that we talked about briefly at the beginning yes so the national gallery of art is a museum in uh, washington dc that has a good website that i am uh struggling to pull up right now it is. should have had this nga.gov yes yeah yeah so nga.gov beautiful thing about this is you can look in the website and there is a amazing search feature where you can put in like time periods and artists and all sorts of detailed information to pull out pieces of art all of the art that's on display at the National Gallery of Art is in the creative, or, or it's in what, what's the what's the term like uh, common fair use something public like that. domain, public domain, yeah, public domain. Right? It's it is it is old stuff that has entered public domain. So 
as an example, you could go on the National Gallery of Art, download that glossy JPEG of a beautiful old painting, print it out, and go sell it at the flea market. And that is 100% allowed, if not encouraged. What that does mean also is that you can have no qualms whatsoever about pulling images from the National Gallery of Art to use as scenes in your Dungeons & Dragons games. You know what the National Gallery of Art has in troves? It has beautifully painted scenes of forests and coastlines and epic sailing ships and castles. It's honestly amazing. It's unbelievable. It blew my my mind when I started um, scrolling through because I'm always Googling like forest scene, fantasy, 5e, battle map, etc. And just scrolling through uh, the National Gallery of Art makes it really easy to find stuff that I 100% know that I can use. Whereas when I'm doing this other search on Google, it's like, I mean, I know I can use this in a private game with my players that's not going to be seen anywhere, but with a uh, a format that might be shown on YouTube or, that, or Twitch or something that you want to monetize, you have to be very careful about what images you're using and the National Gallery of Art solves that problem. Please sponsor us, National Gallery of Art. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> the the segue into that is, Justin, you have a word for something that isn't a battle map. A scene. And I'm doing a hand gesture that you can't see. A I don't scene. know how to describe this. It's very concise. Uh, and I think... did. Did you get the idea from Drew starting to do it in that yeah. campaign? Yeah, 100%. So the idea is that Drew experienced his players thinking that every encounter was solvable by combat or should be solved by combat because when he went from like a world map to an encounter, it was on a battle map. There was a grid. It looked like it did when you had combat. So players was- are like... It's we time. Be fighting. Yeah, it's time to kill shit. I'm on time a grid. To kill shit. Let me roll initiative and punch some stuff, slash some stuff, whatever. Cast fireball. Yep. And he started. He started throwing out these beautiful scenes that would be maybe a fantasy image of a tavern. It could just be a beautiful image of rolling hills if you're traveling through the hills, and we would encounter some other characters. Uh, you know, come upon uh, another band of travelers, and he would just throw up the um, the tokens for those characters in maybe even larger size than they normally would be, which is great because like you get to see the character art a little more in a little more detail, and it, it honestly it feels like a cutscene in an RPG game where you like start by talking to the people. The first thing that you do is you talk to the people that you just encountered, not you make a perception check from 70 feet away and you go like, we should probably start shooting them with arrows, right? Let's let's hide in the bushes and when they get close, we've all readied attacks yeah. and we're going to kill one of them before the first round of combat even happens. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's encouraging the players to not treat everything like it's combat. Um, obviously, you can just like switch from the scene to a battle map if it turns into combat and you need the tactical nature of it to happen um but even even just going through like 
landscapes and like going from a swamp to a prairie up into the mountains and like doing that traveling rather than just like looking at a world map where you could like pull up a scene of something um i know for me it's it's like helped immersion wise the um just having like good visuals to work on visualizing like where the players are what the attitude is like um has been great i mean that the the hills that he had when we encountered the wyvern yeah in like our most recent session are beautiful it was great it's like uh, i don't know where he gets it maybe he gets it from the national gallery of art maybe he does i don't probably not i think he has his own sources uh but yeah there's i would be interested in uh the psychology of like what's happening there why why does that happen it's just because we've conditioned ourselves that when we see a battle map that's what happens and now this this new thing is being put in front of us it's just like a picture of this nice beautiful landscape or like you said a tavern or whatever that we're like okay what is this 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 is just this is just a really cool picture and like this landscape is awesome and i can see myself standing in this and when i'm me justin the human being on earth is standing in this my first inclination isn't to attack this other human that i see it's to be like hey what's up how's it going what brings you on the road are you traveling to uh applebee's i don't know burdusk um and it's it it's the difference between um a scene in a story game in a story-driven adventure game versus being in like the the isometric view of a crpg constantly yeah yeah. right it's like it's almost like a cutscene. spoiler alert it's really easy for the gm because they're not prepping something with a grid you just like literally make a scene that's just a picture in roll 20 that's the other that's the other reason to use it counterpoint is if you have players that like to kill shit be ready with a battle map and tokens Um, granted you could use just like a blank map because you've already set the scene and the players have already kind of constructed this world in their heads so you might not necessarily need a super fancy uh battle map to to fight on um but personally i would also always maybe not always there are some scenes where it's it's very clear that you know battle's not going to happen and then if it does you got to use your improv use a blank mat whatever um but yeah i think be prepared as the uh the boy scouts say <laughs> question to the listeners of which we currently have an two. undetermined amount two two me and you <laughs> We have, we have some friends that we hope will listen. I'm curious if anyone out there hearing this does any theater of the mind combat in your D&D or similar to D&D games in your D&D game, in your um, uh, Pathfinder, I don't know, any of your Call tabletop games. Do you do any theater of the mind combat? I think it can work really well if there's one enemy i will say if there's like uh, one or two things probably can be fine yeah uh 
I know Andrew has used it in our old games when we would play in person. There were some encounters where it was like we were expected to kind of mop the floor with the creatures where it would be just the yeah, of the like, mine. It's not worth really creating the grid and drawing it out and preparing a battle map. It's like a fun yeah. little there's there's some orcs and yeah. you're like yeah we shoot them and it's like cool and you roll some dice and it's fun and you yeah. got it done right like yeah. fireball and half of them are dead yeah basically best best spell in the game yeah but i would be interested to see uh, how many people have used it and what you know they think of it and whether yeah. or not there are even because like myself i'm pretty good at like visualizing things in my head i don't necessarily need a battle map i can kind of picture and space things in my head with just halfway decent descriptions but i know some people like they need a physical grid and without that they're absolutely lost no matter how well even if you had matt mercer describing the the scene to them they would be like i'm looking at a, a blank screen up up here in my head i need some i need a picture give me something yeah yeah i i i think it yeah you can always you can always just even even if it's a scene and the things aren't arranged perfectly you could just like put all the characters that are fighting each other on the scene and just like push them to either side yeah and then be like yo by the way players take notes if I tell you how far you are away from something, write it down. Which is a, another note, players, take notes. <laughs> take notes during your games. It will lead to you being more engaged in the game. It'll lead to you being able to understand when the GM drops hints or information about things that you've heard before. I don't know if you're like me and probably like many other people. When you write things down, you remember them better not because they're written down but because you remember writing them down the process of like putting it either pen to paper or into um into a google drive document like that process can help formulate the memory of the information in your mind uh there's a um there's a youtuber that i want to look up and give a shout out to because she she did a video on uh taking notes D D that was really good and she talked about a bunch of different strategies to do it and i need to find this now is so it, is it jenny d i think it's jenny d i was watching some of her videos earlier about being a good player and being a good dm and one of the good player notes was um talking about um taking notes uh yeah so jenny d g-i-n-n-y space d-i on youtube um she's got a note taking in DD tips for players and it's great she gives a lot of different strategies that you can use to take notes you can go really in depth she gave me a good idea that i've i'm kind of trying to do which is i'm trying to keep a note document about my character in one of the campaigns we're playing where at each level i talk about like what i took on that level up and like stuff that happened and like features that i find in the game and then i take like a general session log notes where it's like basically what happened i write down npc names i write down places we're going i try and include some like date and timing information but it's like my notes are 
functionally garbage. <laughs> Useful garbage, but they're they're garbage. They're not great. Um, I think what I need, and one of the things that she alludes to, is like a better format to put the notes into to make it easier to record more of the information. Um, so it's like spend more time creating the system that you put the notes into rather than just like opening a blank Word doc and just like type, type, type. That makes sense. Yeah. But take notes, take notes, take notes. It's good. It's good Good practice. Your GM will love you if you do yeah. that, especially when they use those notes to help remind them of what has and, happened. And in it, if you're not good at taking notes or you can't take notes for some reason, like if it's if it's really challenging for you to focus on a game in that way and one of the other players <clears> in the game <throat> takes notes, ask them if you can share the Google Doc with them. If you take notes and you know that the other players don't and they might benefit from your notes, share your notes with them. All useful things. Communicate. Work together. Talk also, to each other. Yeah. Also, take notes on Google so you can just control F them, right? So when your GM <laughs> says a player, a name, you just control F, find that name, and be like, yeah, we saw them four weeks ago. And then you get inspiration for quote-unquote remembering. You got to farm that inspiration for just control Fing. That's right. That's right. I think this is a pretty good place to, to wrap it up this week. Um, next next episode what are we going to talk about we're going to talk about dice rolling talk about rolling for ability scores and why it's so fun but also it's pretty bad let's be honest i love it's it personally bad. but it's, it's pretty bad it's not great and there was one other one other thing that you had said that we should talk about and i'm already losing it um it's something that Drew does. Oh, uh, pathway feats. Yes, very important. Pathway feats. This is turning into a D and D suggested homebrew podcast. But yeah. you know, okay, let's let's say um, rolling for stats, pathway feats, and then we'll talk about uh, a piece of published content. Ooh, I know I, just the piece. Because it just came out, Fizzbands, Treasury of Dragons, and let me tell you, it's phenomenal. I've looked at I it think... a little bit, and uh, there we might have some spoilers for you, Thomas, uh, when we yeah, talk about it. Yeah. But it, I'll try to avoid them if I, I can. Think, I, I think we're going to need two episodes, because I almost want to take an entire episode for Fizzbands. I want to talk Ooh. about Fizzbands for a whole episode. Okay. So maybe we can talk about a little bit of it next time. And then in the next episode, Fizban deep dive, full reveal, adults only. <laughs> so tune in next week for something D and D related, ability scores, feats, maybe a little uh, published content talk. Who knows? We'll see. Oh, yeah. um, do you have any shout outs other than Jenny D on YouTube? That's G I N N Y space D I. So anyone, anything uh, else you wanted to, sh to shout out this week? Uh, this pro I don't know if this will go up by then, but... Uh, oh, actually, you know what? The VOD will be up. Uh, the Adventure Zone is doing a live show on November 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can buy tickets at uh, Um 
they're playing a they're playing a, a very silly game uh hootenanny it, that they've they've played a couple other times it's uh i think it's lasers and feelings which is a game system that is so stupidly simple in that you either roll lasers or you roll feelings <laughs> i love it. that it's very fun they've done it for a couple other live shows so there, there's like a little recap out there out on youtube or something to like catch you up um but they'll be doing that live at 9 p.m. on November 5th. And I believe the VOD is up for two weeks. Um, so you can get tickets at some point between now and then. I think you can buy the tickets after the show even happens and then watch the VOD at some point. Um, they've been doing some live virtual content over the last year and a half. Um, I've tuned into all of them and I <laughs> intend to tune into every one of the rest of the live virtual things that they do should be a great time lasers and feelings we'll have to look into that we might have to talk about lasers and feelings sometime yeah yeah i would be down to talk about that that sounds like a really fun game uh i have one shout out and i'm kind of sitting up so you can kind of see my shirt and we briefly mentioned it uh at the beginning of the episode and that's extra life um which is happening November 6th. So that's Saturday after the um, Adventure Zone live show. And Extra Life, it's, it's a program of Children's Miracle Network Hospitals that really unites and brings together gamers from across the globe to, to play games and to, to change you know, kids' health and to change the future. So what it is, is gamers like me, like Thomas, we pledge to spend 24, actually 25 straight hours playing games and also raise money to donate to Children's Miracle Network hospitals. Um, Since 2008, gamers in Extra Life have raised $87 million, which is just insane, with $17 million of that in 2020 alone. So it's it's just growing exponentially. And this is my, my ninth year doing it, and it's something that really I love doing. I love raising money for this cause. Um, if you ask me at 8 a.m. on Sunday after I've been awake for 25 hours if I love doing it, I'll say, I'll lie to you and say, yes, it was awesome. <laughs> because that, that last three, four hours of, of being awake is absolutely brutal. But it's, it's nothing compared to what these children in these hospitals have to go through uh, every single day. And um, I just, I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to, to raise money to, to help make their, their lives even a little bit better um and that's extra life and you can find that at extra dash life dot org um i would ask you to donate to me but i don't care if you donate to me i just want you to donate just go there click donate find literally anyone even if it's the top performing person and give them you know whatever you spend on your your coffee every day give that to extra life instead or even better sign up for next year um, and raise money yourself and uh, 
uh, get some friends together and play games for 24 hours because uh, it it really is a lot of fun and it really does impact um, a lot of lives. Uh, yeah, and that's that's extra life. It's great. It's my favorite. It's my one of my favorite days of the year. It's a holiday for you. It it really is. It really is one of my two favorite non-holiday holidays. The other one is much less uh, good for the world. It's more selfish, getting uh, liquored up with family and friends, and uh, also playing like lawn games. But not part of this podcast. <laughs> that could be a different podcast. Family gatherings. Uh, different, Christmas, different podcasts. Yeah, Christmas yep. in July. It's great. Yeah, um, we'll expand but, the podcast network when this one <laughs> inevitably takes off. Oh yes, yeah. In uh, just one year, when we're rich and famous off that sweet podcast yeah. money, because um, National Gallery of Art is going to sponsor us. Yeah, we'll look back uh, after you know this this long and arduous march to one hundred is complete in just a a short ninety eight more episodes. A short 98 more episodes. I can't wait. Uh, thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your babysitter. Um, yeah, till next time. May all your roles be 20s. Bye.